Welcome to the Influence the City podcast, a podcast for leaders and aspiring leaders. In this week's episode, we take a look into Pastor Travis Johnson's talk at the first Influence the City conference. He takes a deep dive into some stories about his dad's life, as well as touching on some key leadership points that he saw as his dad seized the opportunity to serve his city after a natural disaster. Enjoy this week's episode and be challenged to expand your influence, advance the gospel, and reach your city. Make sure to subscribe to keep up to date with all the newest episodes. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Parlor, And make sure to give us a five-star rating. Man, we're so glad that you're here. This is so exciting. So good to see you guys. And, uh, you know, for me, like this is the first, the first time I've been able to get together with some other pastors. Uh, Kelly and I took a little time off some vacation and we went over uh, with, uh, had church with Pastor Kevin Wallace at Redemption to the Nations and just got a little, um, a little something to drink and a little something to eat. And that was really wonderful. But I'll tell you what, isn't it good to be with your tribe? Uh, Pastor Dan, I could just look at you and I, I can know we're down in the same ditch and it's wonderful to know that you're not the only one in the ditch. So I, I don't know what all you're going through, but I got you, brother. It's, it is awesome. And so I'm so thankful for that. I want to share just a couple things before I jump in here to the scriptures, and then we'll close out tonight. But uh, we started something really exciting today. Uh, actually started, uh, had our first full episode of the Influence the City podcast. You can download that on any uh, podcasting platform. So on Apple, Podcast, Podbean, anything like that, you can grab that. Do me a favor, go and grab that and give us a good glowing five-star review even before you listen to it. That'd be really awesome. And uh, it works out better for me that way. And um, then grab that, share that. Uh, actually, I had a great um, about a 45-minute conversation with one of the strongest leaders I know, Gary West from GA West Company. I started a, started a business when he was uh, in 1987 on a $13,000 loan. Uh, got that loan two hours after he got fired from his job. He got, he got the loan before they could find out he was fired and has built one of the, I mean, just a tremendous business, one of the largest employers in Alabama, really incredible stuff. And he has had some incredible successes and gone through some very challenging disappointments. And uh, we're talking about influence, talking about faith, talking about leadership. Some, there's some gold in there. I want you to grab that and we'll have some great uh, stuff coming out there as well. And I do, I want to echo what Scott said. Kelly, I love you. Thank you for all you do for Biotree Change of Life. It's incredible. I just want to tell you guys, through Biotree Change of Life, Kelly has helped to raise almost $3 million to give away to help kids globally and locally. And it is beautiful. And it matters. I mean, there's real people back behind that. And in fact, just this last year, I was able to slip up to Washington, D.C. Uh, we had some meetings up there, and, and I called a young lady by the name of Helen. Uh, Helen was the first girl that we were able to adopt um, through Buy a Tree, Change a Life. The very first Christmas tree that we sold went uh, to pay for her adoption. She's from uh, she's from Ethiopia, and uh, we went over. I called her. I said, hey, we're going to be uh, just visiting around uh, Capitol Hill, and uh, why don't you come over? We'll take you out to eat. And she said, no, Pastor, you have to come over to my house because I want to fix food for you so you can meet my husband and my son. And it's just incredible. She loves Jesus. God's just done incredible things in her life, and that's what this is about. It's not just about, um, you know, an event at Christmas, but it's real people. Uh, globally, and then right there in your community. And so I'm really thankful for that work that you do, baby, and for all of our pastors and churches uh, as well. If you're interested in learning more about Biotree or jumping in with us, 
check us out, fill out an interest form at buyatreechangelife.com. We'd love to, or hey, we can just talk. We're all here. If you're watching online right now, there'll be a link right there in the comments. We'd love for you to just click that and then jump in with us. And, and uh, you know, buy a tree is just a vehicle. That's all it is. I mean, it's, there's nothing special about Christmas trees. Wesley Weatherford, we're not selling Christmas trees. We're selling hope. That's what we're doing. And everybody, every pastor needs a vehicle in their community. This is something that we've uh, we've grabbed a hold of, and, you know, we drive it like we stole it. We just get out there, and, and I never imagined that I'd be like a Santa Claus, but it has given us opportunities like crazy. And I could go, I could spend time talking about some of the opportunities that I've had as a result of Buy a Tree. I'll save that for somebody else. Tonight, I actually want to share with you uh, a, a concept or a thought or a reality uh, that I ran into by watching my dad that really changed the way that I thought about ministry. And, you know, while I would love for you to get a hold of Buy a Tree, Change a Life and jump into that, really I would like for you to get a hold of a vehicle and just drive it. Advance the gospel, advance, uh, enlarge the kingdom of God by looking at your city differently. Uh, John Wesley said this, he said, the world is my parish. And so I would really challenge each one of us to stop looking at our church as four walls. I mean, the church, I have a high view of the church. I have a high view of the scriptures. And let me tell you right now, we need pastors and leaders that have a high view of the scriptures and a high view of the church because it's Jesus using the church to transform the world and a church that doesn't have a good grip on the scriptures is a total disaster. Why would you want to be a part of a church if there's nothing to believe in? Honestly, I don't want to waste my time like that. But if you've got something that will transform my life, if you'll have something to take uh, the taste of crack out of my crack cocaine out of my mouth or an addiction out of my body or uh, a way of thinking of, about the world, if you can give me something that will tell me that something is wrong with me, but there is a solution. If you'll tell me that I need to change the way that I live and that I can't do it on my own, but there's a man named Jesus that'll help me, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church that our communities need. Our communities don't need a diet church. We don't, we don't need a, a, you know, just like a, a, a really polite group of people that have little get-togethers. But we need to be the body of Christ that changes things. It changes. Look, prayer changes the way I see things, yes. But prayer changes things. The church ought to be a change agent in our community. Look, one of the biggest, there, there are big, big time uh, conversations going on in our world right now. And people are looking for answers. And you know, we can come up with answers, but you know, one of the greatest arguments, one of the greatest things that you can do to convince people of a better way to live is to live differently. When people look at the church, they ought to see the kingdom of God. They ought to see what it looks like. There ought to be something different that's happening in here than what's happening out there. We ought to be a picture of the kingdom of God. And I think that that's really what people are looking for. In Metter, Georgia, Zach, I don't know where you went, but I know in Metter, Georgia, Metter needs a church that loves Jesus and is passionate about the word of God that transforms lives. Man, I was sitting on the porch with my dad, and uh, we were having a conversation. Actually, uh, two years ago yesterday, my dad passed away. And uh, so he had, he had uh, pastored uh, in South Florida and had really given of his life and was just, man, just amazing guy. Same guy in the pulpit as he was at home and um, a lot of fun to be with and just really the best kind of dad that I could have. And I watched him work and, you know, so he had worked, he retired, and then he bought this house on 
the backside of our property. So they got a couple acres back behind us, and we were sitting out there on the on the back porch, and uh, just kind of admiring the scenery. And you can hear the birds, and it was just perfect. I mean, his house was on the end of a dirt road. I mean, it was just perfect for uh, for him. And and you know, he had had a cancer diagnosis. And he's sitting there, and he says, "You know, Trav." He he looked at the house. He said, uh, "This is just a perfect place, but." It's the right place, just the wrong time. He was just kind of doing the math on his life. He thought about how he had worked. And then, you know, like six months after he retired, he got this terminal cancer diagnosis. And so we're talking. And I told him, I said, Daddy, I'm so proud of you because you lived sacrificially. You loved your church. You gave everything that you had. And then you took care of my mom. You got this house and it's paid for. And, you know, I just, you're everything that I want to be. And we're just talking. It's one of those really great father-son conversations. And... So then we start talking. We're talking about ministry. I said, well, Daddy, what, is the, what was your favorite season of ministry that you had? What was your, the best moment that you had? And, you know, I thought about some things that he did, and, and I, I thought he would talk about those. And he said, well, you know, I think the best part of my ministry was Hurricane Andrew. See, my dad was pastoring Homestead, Florida. It, it was the epicenter of a Category 5 hurricane. I mean, the eye of the hurricane went right over our house. Um, I was a student at Lee for all of like one week when that happened. So my timing was good. I got out of there. And, uh, but it knocked the place down, knocked the church down, knocked the house down, took the roof off of our house, all the windows out, put all the carpet in the house into my bedroom. And, uh, and my dad, I'm thinking about Hurricane Andrew. He's talking about how Hurricane Andrew is, you know, was the best time of his life. Hurricane Andrew, my dad slept under a, a picnic table for about a week. You couldn't go to a hotel. There, was, there were no hotels. And uh, he would drive up to my cousin's house in Miami Lakes and take a shower every now and then. They would, you know, get a nor- little sense of normalcy. But, man, he was there. Uh, he went and got a hard hat and put on the front of the hard hat, Homestead Church of God, Reverend J.T. Johnson. Man, he wore that sucker all over the place. And, and uh, he, he was just like, I'm, I'm in for business, you know, I'm, uh, and I just thought about that. He was like, that was the best time. And I started thinking that as a freshman in college, I, I'm talking to my dad, and my, my mom is there, my little brother is there, and I, on the, uh, you know, I, I finally get to talk to my dad after two months. There were no phone lines. Um, I guess AT&T trucked some phone lines in there, portable phone banks, and I finally got to talk to my dad. Every now and then somebody would show up at school and say, hey, I saw, I saw your dad. He said to tell you hello. He loves you. And um, so I talked to my dad. And uh, when I talked to him, I said, Daddy, um, I want you to leave. I want you to leave. I want you to find another church and go to another church. I mean, a quarter million people immediately moved out of South Miami and never came back. 50% of the businesses closed, never opened again. 50% of the churches closed, never opened again. And when I asked my dad to move, and I knew he had had some opportunities to go elsewhere because sometimes when stuff like that happens, then the church kind of rallies and says, hey, why don't you, let's give you this opportunity or something like that. And my dad told them what he told me. He said, this is my town and I'm called to this town and my town needs me. Big T is what he called me. Big T, I'm not going anywhere. And of course, I admired that. And the first time I drove down, fall break hit, I'm pulling into South Miami Dade. I saw I saw metal from the roof of our church, about four miles from our church, wrapped around what was left of a pine tree. It was awesome to watch how my dad worked and just took ownership of that city. And it was in that that I saw my dad do some things that changed the way I saw ministry forever. For me, it was never about... um, 
It was never about having a service and preaching and singing, even though, man, this is incredible stuff. But for me, it was like the church was a quick strike team in the community. I think we do have that picture of the church. My dad took those pews there, and of course, the roof is gone. And He took those pews, cut them up, turned them into shelves, and they started warehousing food and feeding 5,000 people a day hot meals out of that church property and just started loving on that city. I mean, that's a church. I mean, people standing outside all the time, and you just, I'm telling you, I mean, there were armed people patrolling the streets, and people were painting on their houses, uh, looters will be shooted, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, you would see, you would go down, and you would see somebody driving in a car with the roof peeled back, wearing a motorcycle helmet, uh, you know, just whatever they could get. I, I saw across the street, there was a U-Haul, and uh, there was actually a U-Haul truck flipped upside down on top of the truck. I mean, it was like a bomb went off in this place. And my dad fell in love with that town. Now he wasn't from, my dad wasn't from Homestead. Homestead, it sounds like a kind of a rural town, but it's, uh, it's South Miami. It's, uh, I remember one time Tom Sturbins came down and was visiting with me while I was looking at a house. And I, I was about to buy this house. And Tom said, Travis, you can't buy this house. It's too small. I said, what are you talking about? This is a palace. <laughs> Houses in Miami are different than they are in Tennessee. And my dad was not from uh, well, I mean, we have fam- lots of family, four generations in Miami, but my dad was from frostproof Florida. In fact, my kids called, my dad would tell stories about the barefoot boy from frostproof. And so they called my dad the BBFF. And he would tell stories all the time. And, and they would say, they would say, Papa, you're the barefoot boy from frostproof, aren't you? And he said, well, you know, I, I, I knew him. I was a good friend of his. He would never tell him. Um, actually, when my dad got his cancer diagnosis, my kids made my dad promise that before he died, he would tell the identity of the barefoot boy from Frostproof. He would talk about how that he would swim out in the middle of Lake Silver, and he said it was the best thing that a barefoot boy could ever have to live out in the country like that. And he told all of these stories about this little rural town, and I, Frostproof is like central Florida. I mean, sand spurs and sand and I mean, to me, there's nothing really pretty about it. I mean, if you're from Frostproof, I'm, I'm sorry. But from my dad, it was heaven. And here he was. He was saying, Miami is my town. Miami is my town. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving this place. One of the awesome things, my dad took that hard hat, and he went downtown to the city hall like a day or two after Hurricane Andrew hit. Day after Hurricane Andrew hit, he had that helmet, and he goes down there, and tractor trailers start showing up, and they begin asking the mayor and asking people, where can we send the food? And they were saying, well, we don't know. Everything is destroyed. And my dad would take his hard hat, and he would step up, and he says, well, I have a distribution center over on Southwest 308 Street. And so these tractor trailers started showing up, and there was nothing left at Southwest 308 Street. The distribution center was you just unload it, and they start feeding people. I mean, that's what was going on. Next thing you know, the National Guard is there. There's about 300 people stationed on the church property, and hundreds of people coming out to work and build, and it, it was incredible. In fact, by that um, orange, uh, sugar bowl year, when Miami played Alabama for the national championship, which has become a very complicated situation for me pastoring in Mobile as, as someone who was raised in the 305. Uh, but we were there at the Sugar Bowl, and I kid you not, my dad hustled that town so much and gave himself to that town so much that when we walked into the 
USF&G Sugar Bowl in 1992, the year that, uh, that Teague chased down Lamar Thomas and stripped the ball. Do you remember that? I remember a traumatic moment for me. And now, now I'm saying roll tide and all kinds of crazy stuff now. But when we walked into that stadium in New Orleans, at every single entrance in New Orleans was a trash can, and USF&G was taking up an offering for the Homestead Church of God to do hurricane relief in South Florida. He said, this is my town. This is my town. You know, we were there. My, I was a freshman at, at Lee, and I went over, and we were sitting in a box. We were invited by all the executives at USF&G. And, and Bill Bailey, the head of the Hurricane Insurance Commission, was the one that invited us. Of course, Bill Bailey, his brother is F. Lee Bailey, O.J. Simpson's attorney. I mean, it was awesome. We would go up to his house and all kinds of cool things. I'm going, how did this happen? Did you hang out with cool people? No, how this happened is my dad put a hard hat on and said, this is my, this is my house. This is my city. John Wesley says, the world is my parish. Let me tell you something really quick. God has placed you in Longview, Washington. He's placed me in Mobile, Alabama. He's placed you in Cocoa, Florida. He's placed you in Singapore and Siem Reap and not only Southeast Asia, but also Southeast Alabama. You know, God's placed you. And let me tell you something. The cavalry isn't coming in your community. You are the cavalry. That's who we are. And that's a crazy thing. I love listening to T.D. Jakes. I love listening to Jensen Franklin. I want to hear him preach, but God didn't send them to preach to your town. He sent you, and he sent me. Yeah. Pastor, you know, I'm not a really good preacher. Well, I'm not a great preacher either. In fact, I stood in a phone booth at Lee University, and I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want in ministry. If you call me into ministry, you have to make it obvious, but if you do, I'll do anything as long as I don't have to preach. Let me tell you, God has called each one of us. Hepzibah, Georgia, will never be the same because of Jessica and Wesley Weatherford in Oasis Church. That was something that my dad showed me. I got a, one really cool picture i just like to show. It was the last one. Here's my dad. Go, that, that's it. There's my dad standing right behind Billy Graham. Yeah, there's that hard hat. That's right. There's that hard hat. And he looked, look at him. He's like mean in business there. And uh, Governor Lawton Childs and our mayor and this is a crew of people that were getting together saying, hey, we are not finished with this city. And you know what I watched my dad? I watched my dad hustle through some things, and he didn't give up on that place. And for 16, 17 years, he gave himself to, to that place, and he wouldn't quit. I can promise you, if it wasn't for my dad, that church would have closed. It would have been gone. The money from the property would have been gone. It wasn't worth anything after it got busted up. I mean, I had friends buying houses for $12,000 coming right out of high school. It wasn't worth He hung in there. And let me tell you today, there is an amazing church on the largest piece of property that any church in Miami-Dade County has, and that place is packed out, multiple services, reaching 60, 70 different nationalities, because somebody said, this is my town, and I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah, my dad, he's from, he's from uh, Frostproof, not really from not really from Miami, like four generations ago. Four generations of my family in Miami, but I'll tell you what, four generations ago, Miami was a very different place. The Mariel boat lifts and, you know, all, all kind, you have the Cuban exiles living in Miami and then Haitians coming over from uh, uh, crossing all kinds of waters. The Cubans and the Haitians coming over, just incredible. The city changed and then Puerto Rico goes bankrupt. A lot of Puerto Ricans pouring into Miami and Russians and oh, it's, it's, it's like the United Nations. Yeah, my dad, 
barefoot boy from Frostproof. You know what my dad was? My dad was in exile. He was not a a native of Miami, but he was living there in exile. In fact, an exile is a situation in which, or being exiled is a situation in which you're forced to leave your country or home to go and live in a foreign country. I'll tell you what, my dad went to South Florida and he fell in love with that place. And I, I just Listen, I just want to challenge you and maybe push back just a little bit because sometimes we look at our communities and we see all of the bad things about our our communities and we like to talk about it. We like to say, well, I can't really do anything like that in my community because my community has these challenges and my community, we don't have, you know, people with resources or my people are, you know, they're they're, they're a little mean, they're not really hospitable or, you know, all of the different things that uh, my community doesn't look really pretty. Man, let me just tell you, nobody should talk bad or think badly about the community that they pastor and lead in. I mean, you, you may not be from there. And even if you are from there, you're not from there. I love America. God bless America. I love my country. I, I thank God for America. And even when the, the, the flaws of America come out, listen, I'll tell you, I've been to a lot of places in the world, and there is no place like America. Well, you know what? Well, I'm a, a citizen of the United States. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm a heavenly citizen, and God has a home for me, and one day I'll go there, but I'll tell you what, as long as I'm here, I'm going to hold on to my city, and I'm going to hold on to my town, and I'm going to love it. I'm not going to let anybody talk bad about it. If they talk bad about it, they're going to get it the stink eye from me, and I'm, I'm going to be the biggest champion in my community. That's what I saw from my dad. Let me give you really quick three things that pastors need to know about ministering in our cities. Number one, we are exiles in our city. We are exiles in our city. Number two, God placed us in our city with an agenda for us using our gifts and our talents. And then the third thing, and we'll see this here in Jeremiah chapter 29, the third thing is that we're blessed when our city is blessed. So how in the world do you expect to see your church prosper if you're bad-mouthing trash in your city? If you're talking bad about it, the roof can be blown off of your church and, and, and city leaders may be standing around going, we don't know what to do. But let me tell you what, if you just fall in love with your place, you'll show up in the middle of Atlanta and say, I didn't really have a choice in all this, but I'm here and I'm not leaving. When we begin to bless our city, God will begin to do something special in us. Let me just go ahead and read to you Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. And of course, Jeremiah 29, 11 is this really wonderful high school graduation verse. You write it in there. For I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. And so it's really very Joel Osteenish. It's really wonderful. Gives you the warm fuzzies. I mean, don't you like good scriptures like that? Is anybody, I don't want somebody who's down in the mouth all the time. Thank the Lord for Joel and Victoria. It's really, I'm really thankful. But that Jeremiah 29, 11, what we don't understand is that passage was given as Israel Israel was going into exile for 70 years in Babylon. It's not like all, you know, roses here. They're, they're seeing their city destroyed. They're seeing Jerusalem destroyed and the temple destroyed and the walls being torn down and they're being carried off. So as they're going into exile, into captivity, all the smartest people, it was just like in Cambodia, just like in Cambodia. If you were educated, those are the people they took out. So the king takes off all of the educated young leaders. That's where you get Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where they come from. These are the best of the best. And then they kill a bunch of people and, and, and kind of, you know, leave some folks there. It's a very difficult situation. And as they're going off, here's the instructions that they get in how to live in exile. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled 
to Babylon from Jerusalem. Here it goes. And I would say this to you. These are your marching orders. These are my marching orders. This is, how, this is like the Great Commission of the Old Testament. This is the how to do the Great Commission uh, in, in the Old Testament for, in, for our city. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. I'm going to pause just for a second. Some of you are from up north. And some of you have moved down south. And when it's like 90 degrees in December, then your Facebook is covered up with all kinds of dreams about leaves changing and snow on the ground. And everybody knows that you really don't like where you live. Here's what the Lord's saying. I want you to fall in love with your place. Don't just build homes and plan to save, but plant gardens and eat the food that's produced right there in that community. Right there. I mean, I'm not really down with oxtail soup, but man, when I'm, when I'm in Miami Gardens, when I'm little, in Little Haiti, I'm eating me some oxtail soup. You know, when I'm in Hialeah, when I'm in Homestead, I'm going to have some arroz con dules. I'm going to have some, uh, some pollo tropical. I mean, that's like fast food, Burger King fast food uh, for the Latinos in South Florida. You get you some, some black beans and rice. You know, you're going to have some cafe con leche and praise God for cafe con leche. Somebody, come on, give the Lord a hand clap for some tres leches up in here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Whatever it is, the flavor of your community, fall in love with it so that people know that you're there uh, in love and, and planning to stay. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. And I love this. This is my favorite part. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. And that might be a word for somebody right now. Man, would anybody say this season has just been a... Butt kicker. I mean, this, is, this season, is anybody says this season has been? <laughs> yeah, you're praying for 2021. I know. I know. What happened to 2020 vision? <laughs> I like that <laughs> slogan to start the year off. I hear some people talking about, well, the thing that I liked about the quarantine or the lockdown is I got the rest. Who did that? I, how did that happen? How did I not get in on that plane? In fact, I would say this has been the busiest season of my life. Come on, am I talking to anybody? Is that, that's me, right? I mean, it's been, it's been work. And here's what I would say. Some of us are saying we just need to get through this thing. No, don't just get through this. There are opportunities all around. There, if you're feeling the heat, I promise the people around you that don't know Jesus and don't have a church family, they're feeling it even more. Thank God we have hope in Jesus Christ. Thank God that we have an answer. And you know what? If we're the hope dealers for our community, how in the world are, are we not taking advantage of the opportunity where people are desperate for an answer? Multiply. Don't dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is it. You want a better city? Build a better city. You want a better family? Build a better family. You want a better church? Build a better church. I mean, your church is never going to grow if you don't like your church. Your city is never going to prosper if you're trash-talking your city. Look, I would grab a hold of the gems and, and, and the, the hopes and the, the dreams of your city, the, the best um, ideals and characteristics of the city. And don't get hung up on the things that are broken, but begin to 
polish and shape and defend and speak. I mean, you know, when we speak, it changes things. Man, it's hard for me to hear a parent talking about their children saying, you're going to be just like your daddy. You, you, you never, of course you would do that. I'm not, I'm not surprised. But man, when a parent says, I believe in you, son, you've got what it takes. You, you, you can do this. Come on, man, let's do this. And, and then you just see that one little piece of success and you stand up and you cheer and you applaud. I'm telling you, it changes the environment. Too many Christians have become the thermometers in rooms and, and we're talking about all that, oh, America, it, we're post-Christian. no. God is at work. He's at work. And you know what? Let everybody else begin to shrink back, but we're going to multiply and we won't dwindle away. We're going to rise up and we're going to move forward. <laughs> the only tools we might have, they may be busted up pews. It may be a church that's supposed to get shut down. It may be the only reason we got sent there it's because they couldn't get anybody else to go there. Man, that might even be a competitive advantage for us. For those of us in this room that have not been able to get opportunities, maybe that was the breeding ground that caused us to have to get down and hustle and make it happen. You, you just had to build. You had to develop. You had to mature. Man, what, what if God just sparked something in us in this moment? In a season where people are tired, there are people who are saying, when is this thing ever going to get over? I mean, I can't, this face mask, I can't do the face mask. I can't do this face mask for much longer, man. It's, it's rough. It's, I can't get the air out. And then I, I needed to brush my teeth, so I got a peppermint, and then it fumed my eyeballs out as the, the peppermint. This is a new world, man. I don't, I, how do you do this? And you, people say something to you, and you're standing there. It looks like you're staring them down because nobody's smiling. Well, I'll tell you what, people are, they're lonely and isolated, and you can't touch. And when you walk into the room, you don't even know how to greet. I mean, Dr. Toke, is, you're used to this, but I, I'm, not used, I'm not used to it. Let me tell you, we got an answer in Christ. We have an answer in him. I quit listening to, like, Tom Rainer and all the consultants because they've never been in this situation. You know who the experts are right now? You. It's you, man. It's us. We're God's plan. We're God's plan. Shame on us if we just build a, a little get-together. Shame on us if we just get together and sing. Yeah, let's lift up the name of Jesus. But if we're lifting up the name of Jesus, we'll be getting close to his people too. We'll be falling in love with our city. We'll be going after the lost sheep, and we'll, we'll be getting in ditches with people who have been beaten up and discarded. Man, when we had 27 people in our church, I didn't have the luxury of only hanging out with the, the affluent people. There were no affluent people in a 27-person church. I just think of story after story of how some of those 27 people that started out with us at the beginning are just doing such great things. We needed each other. I needed them as much as they needed me. We all needed Jesus. Your city needs you. My city needs me. I'm 46. I'm not phoning it in. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. 
Give everything you have. Here's another great thing my dad said. He said, I'm going to fight the devil with everything that I've got. I'm going to punch him, and I'm going to kick him, and I'm going to scratch him. And he said, when I lose my teeth, he said, I'm going to bite him. When I lose my teeth, I'm going to gum him to death. He said, I'm going to give everything. Dr. Toke, the last kind of theme in my dad's life, he was counting his days and counting his breaths, doing the math. Doctors told him he had six months to live. He lived for like 19 months. Here's what he was telling me. He said, son, I just want every single breath that I have to count. Eddie, we don't have it all together, but we know the one that does. We multiply. And we don't dwindle away. We're not going to win every fight, and it's not going to be perfect. But we're not going to shrink back. We're going to be bigger in our failures. We're going to be bigger in our disappointments. When the messages aren't that great, when we lose people, when, when we have people that are frustrated that we use masks and they leave, we're going we're to keep pressing in. When we have people that are frustrated and leave because we don't use masks, we're going to press in. We're going to keep going on. When we lose people because we didn't say anything about racial tension, we're going to press on and we're going to keep going. When we have people that leave because we said something about racial tension, we're going to press on and we're going to keep going in Christ Jesus. We're going to go after with everything that we have. And God will bless us and he will bless our city. In Mobile and Miami Gardens and Cocoa and Cleveland and Singapore, They're going to be changed because of you and because of me. God, touch us. Lord, won't you minister? Won't you, won't you breathe your strength into us? Lord, when our whole world is turned upside down, Lord, help us to find our hard hat. and Help us to show up right in the middle of this city. And Lord, help us to take advantage of every opportunity that you would open up. Lord, help us to build homes. Help us to plant gardens. Father, help us to marry, have children, marry off our kids. Father, help us to work for the prosperity of the city because as the city prospers, we prosper. Do that in us. And Lord, we'll thank you. We'll thank you. Your grace, your strength. Lift your hands up. Lift your voices up. Look, I've given you what I have. Why don't you do in the same right now? Just go to the Lord and you just tell him, God, I need your touch right now. I need your touch. Come on, just speak it out right now. That bold voice that slips up through the whispers, that begins to break through the heavens, says, God, I need you here in Babylon. I miss Jerusalem. It's different. This thing is different. I need your touch. Won't you help me? I, I don't even get the same diet. Lord, help. give me the nutrition, the encouragement, the friendship, the strength, the courage that I need. Won't you just lift that up to the Lord right now? Oh, I'm reminded what my friend Dr. Toke says. He says, we don't go in confidence, we go in courage. Our, the, our confidence is in the Lord. We're never called to be confident in ourselves. We're called to be confident in him. But it's our courage that steps out by faith, believing that God will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. Do it in our town, in our community. And Lord, I pray that at the end of the day, sitting out on a porch somewhere, We'll look and we'll give you all the thanks 
and we'll bless you for your grace in our journey and our cities. Our cities will be changed. Our cities will be renewed. Our cities will be transformed. All the things people tried to fix with man-made mechanisms, Father, that your kingdom would just sweep in and do powerful things in families in our communities. And Lord, when that happens, Lord, we'll say thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, man, give the Lord a great big hand clap. Let's bless him. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to keep up to date with all the newest episodes. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Parlor, And make sure to give us a five-star rating. We'll see you next time on the Influence the City podcast.